Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. One of the most frustrating parts of the entrepreneurial life script the trajectory is that when you first hear about it and understand the benefits, you know, like living anywhere you want, having money in the bank, being able to work on projects that you find personally interesting. When you first hear all that stuff, you're probably not ready to start a business. I mean, that was certainly the case for me. I mean, I didn't even know where to start. You know, the answer is starting your own business. But for many of us, we don't know what lies between right now, the present moment, and that moment of genesis when we can start our own business. Now, in the past on this show, we've said, if you're in that position, you need to go get an apprenticeship. And I very much think that's the case. But there's a bunch of problems with that advice. Number one, how do you get one? Where do you go to find one? And what happens after you get one? You know, what's the future look like for me? If I throw away my career path and take on this apprenticeship idea you guys are talking about, what are the next steps? It was actually seeing this trajectory in person that inspired this episode. The other night, I was sitting around a table of 15 entrepreneurs and apprentices. And someone leaned over to me and said, you know, everyone is at this table because of this concept. And when you looked around the table, you know, no one's going to a nine to five job. People are living in exciting, interesting places, traveling a lot, working on really cool businesses. And, you know, some of the people were wealthy and some of the people were on the path and some of the people were just getting started. But the point is, is that for me, this represents a very interesting opportunity for people looking to get into the entrepreneurial trajectory. Here's the problem. And in the past, I've called it the middle school dance problem. So to inspire me a little bit, I'm going to play what I think is the best middle school dance song of all time. It's the Tony Rich Project with Nobody Knows. In this episode, I'm going to take a stab at being the DJ at the middle school dance. I know everybody wants to get together. Half of us on one side of the room running successful businesses. We want smart, talented, entrepreneurial people to work for us at prices we can afford. And on the other side, you got a bunch of people who someday want to start their own businesses, want to get under the hood of an active one and give their best energy to it. So we got to play the right song and it's got to be a good one because I've found historically, at least it's difficult to get people into the center of the room. So in this episode, we are going to address all three parts of the issue. In the first part of the episode, we're going to talk about what it takes for successful entrepreneurs to generate meaningful apprentice opportunities and what those apprenticeship opportunities look like on the ground. We're going to hear firsthand about that. In the second part of the episode, we're going to talk to aspiring entrepreneurs and we're going to give a roadmap for how you can create and win apprenticeship opportunities for yourself. And in the third part of the episode, we're going to talk about what the future can look like for people who've successfully scored apprenticeships. How do you transition into running your own business? And in order to do this, I've invited the person who leaned over to me at that dinner. His name's Vincent Wynn, and he's the founder of GrowthNinja.com. And over the last couple of years, he's gone through all of these stages himself. And I think he's got a really interesting story. We're catching him right in the middle of it. He should be in college right now. He dropped out of college to take on an internship. 
And, you know, instead of being in astronomy 301 course back at whatever state school, Vincent successfully trained with entrepreneurs and has started his own consultancy, which you'll hear about at the end, which is doing really well. This is what's possible for people who decide, you know what, I'm going to commit to another path in life. So I started by asking Vincent why the heck he isn't in school and what gave him the motivation to pursue this path. So my senior year of high school, a very close friend of mine, Patrick, was anti-college. And I didn't quite get why he was anti-college. I just kind of thought, you know, you go to a good college, you get good grades, and you get a good job. And he kept talking about Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss. Four-hour work week. And I'm like, okay, so there's clearly something going on here. This isn't just some kind of fascination with an interesting dude. So I read the four-hour work week blog. I read the book. You know, I followed other guys who were doing interesting things. And I realized, hey, this kind of lifestyle fits me. I don't want to work from 9 a.m. through 5 in the evening every single day and every single night. I want to be flexible, work wherever and whenever I want. And so I launched my own personal site, Self Stairway, which I kind of, I didn't really have a clear picture of what that would bring me in the future, but I knew that I would meet interesting people and just learn interesting things like SEO, internet marketing, and grow my blog. And one day I was just on Twitter, you know, looking around. I don't really know exactly what I was doing, but I ran into a tweet by Sean Ogle. And all the tweet said was, best opportunity I've seen in a while. And, you know, I was bored. So I clicked on the tweet and the first thing I saw was marketing apprentice wanted. If it's an internship, I probably would have skipped away because I already had three internships at that time. But the word apprentice, you know, it had a certain connotation to it. The apprentice learns from the master, you know, learning from someone who's got the chops and eventually the apprentice becomes the master. So I was a little put off by the Empire Flippers branding at first because it was very cartoonish. That was their old brand. But then I kept looking into their site and into Justin and Joe and I saw that their blog was really popular and they had a really popular podcast. So I get to hear who Justin and Joe are and I realized these guys are solid. They've got chops and they're the types of people that I want to know and the people that I want to learn from. So going into your apprenticeship, you won. And we're going to talk about how you can create and win apprenticeships in a bit. But I want to get inside of what motivated you to do something that your family doesn't agree with, that your friends don't agree with, and to take a risk on two entrepreneurs that you had never met before. What was it that motivated you and what did you think you were going to get out of it? So during that time, I was going through this kind of soul searching process, I guess, because I never really knew what I wanted to do. But the lifestyle, just something about it really appealed to me. Working wherever and whenever I want, I don't want to follow just a rule from a boss that tells me when to wake up in the morning to go to work. You know, I wanted to do something that I liked, which was really important to me. Another side point is that I really want to just work on my own time. When I realized that that's what Empire Flippers and the apprenticeship model offered, I realized that, okay, I may not know what I want to do in the future, but at least I know what kind of lifestyle I wanted. So it really just fit perfectly with what I was looking for. What are some of the things now looking back on it that you got out of it that you would say, this is really critical for other entrepreneurs to understand? Because I know you were very happy with how things went for you. So what did they do right in this process that worked so well for you? Justin and Joe, man, they've been through a lot. And so every time we came into a certain issue with the business that they were running, let's say like a trouble customer or something, they literally spoke their minds about how and why they came to the decisions that they did. So I was very fortunate. For example, be very careful with who you decide to work with because they might be paying you a lot of money. But if your heart skips a beat every time you see an email from them, it's probably not a good sign because you sacrifice just a lot. You throw a lot of resources at the guys who demand a lot of your time. 
And so even now today, I'm turning away people who I just get a bad feeling from. And I literally fire clients because I get an email from them and I'm just like, I don't want to deal with these guys. If I hadn't had worked for Justin and Joe, I would have grabbed every dollar that I could and say, hey, business is business. You know, you're going to run into these types of people. But what you don't realize if you're in that kind of mindset is that you're allocating 75% of your time, 80% of your time dealing with these time wasters, people who you don't even enjoy in the first place. So you only have 20% or 25% left for the guys who you do enjoy. And ultimately, those guys are willing to spend more money anyway because they're not worrying about every nickel and dime. You mentioned it was really important that they offered you a soft landing. What do you mean by that? And why do you think that's important for apprenticeships? So imagine you're in my shoes, man. Like I'm 19 years old at the time and I'm a full-time college student and I was living with my parents at the time, you know? So tell me to come out to Southeast Asia, figure out your rent situation and just learn the lay of the land on your own. That sounds insane to me because I've got so many other issues in the back of my head. I got to leave my friends. I got to leave my family. And now I got to figure out where to live. But tell me the same things and accept, say, hey, come out here. We'll introduce you to our friends. We already know the city. We'll show you around. And we even got a place for you to stay. That makes it so much easier. And that lowers the barrier to entry that much more for me. And what do you think about being compensated that way? Like at 19 years old, is it okay to say, hey, we're just going to give you a little bit of money as long as like your living's covered? Were you thinking I'm getting taken advantage of here? Well, what was your thought process around that? Yeah, that's a great question. Like, I don't know if I felt like I was taking advantage of because obviously I went for it, right? But you've got to understand where they're coming from, right? With the apprenticeship model, you're not a full-time employee yet. And so you're not always going to be stuck with a lower compensation as you prove your worth and as you bring value to the company, your income eventually grows. And so when I first applied for it, I knew that I was going in for a job that would pay me less, but they would compensate me in other ways, you know, their network, their own lessons that they've learned throughout the years, they'll pass on to me through just the conversations that we have and the way that we handle certain things. And so I was never really concerned about getting scammed or anything like that. I knew that the benefits greatly outweighed the risk. One more thing while we're talking to entrepreneurs, you mentioned how important it was that they had a podcast. I've noticed so many entrepreneurs attempting to do an apprentice model, but they put up what looks like a normal job ad. So let's get back in your head when you're listening to that podcast. What's going through your mind while you're looking at the job ad? Applying for a company you've never heard of before, you've got to trust the people that you're applying for. I mean, if it looks like a regular job ad, it's kind of like, all right, well, who are these guys running the company? Who am I going to be working with on a day-to-day basis? I mean, one of the biggest appeals of the apprenticeship program is that you work closely with the founders. And so are these going to be people that I get along with personally? They could be the sharpest people in the world, but if I don't enjoy them on a personal level, it's just not going to be appealing for me. And so if you have a popular blog and a popular podcast like Empire Flippers, I get to hear their voice. I get to hear their banter. I get to hear who they really are. You just can't fake it. You know, you could fake a blog post. You could have an editor or a ghostwriter, but the podcast, that's who you really are. And I felt like I already knew them on a certain level when I hit the apply button because I've heard their voices. One final question regarding that. I know for a while that you actually lived with Justin and I've lived with my staff in the past as well which might sound like crazy talk, but it's actually happening in certain companies. And I'm curious, how did that work for you? And would you recommend other entrepreneurs offering such a deal? So the biggest downside is I couldn't walk around in my boxers because that was a little awkward. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'd say the upside, again, outweighs the downside, right? I mean, really, I couldn't imagine me getting caught up to speed, not only about what the company's all about, what they live for, but the company's values. I wouldn't have been able to catch up on all that stuff if I was still sitting comfy in Arizona or California. Something about being in the same room together and just sharing the same air and just talking really gets you up to speed that much faster. Because you're curious, you're going to ask them questions, you don't feel like you're bothering them. For example, if I were to email Justin back then, I wouldn't know if he's busy working on something else, or if he's like kind of sleeping or whatever. I mean, I can just look up from my computer, see what he's up to. Hey, buddy, are you busy? Can I ask you a quick question? I just get caught up that much faster because I have direct access to the source. And you know, for you entrepreneurs out there thinking, hey, you know, I might want to do this. This is pretty interesting. I'm not going to say this is all gravy. Obviously, when you take on an apprentice, you're taking on a much higher emotional burden. These people want access to you. And you're also going to have to deal with retention and turnover, right? These people, they want to move on fast. So it's kind of an up or out situation. You know, we've had things go both ways where our business continues to grow and we can continue to up level that apprentice to higher and higher levels where they're practically running the business. And we've had people come around to do really good work. Work, and then it's like, hey, you support what their next thing is. So figuring out how this fits into the context of your business can be a challenge. And I honestly think that that's why there aren't more of them. And I think from the apprentice side, it's really important to ask yourself what the motivations of the entrepreneur are, because the liability here for you apprentices is that there's going to be broke entrepreneurs not willing to take responsibility for your lifestyle change. So if they ask you to move or they ask you to you know, change your life trajectory and stuff, and then it turns out that they're a broke joke. If you're an entrepreneur providing these types of positions, you know, I think underlining your track record, and again, you're taking a different level of responsibility for these apprentices. So something to keep in mind. And that's part of the reason why so far, at least it's been a little bit of the middle school dance problem. Some of you might recall inside baseball, I used to have a job board where we would sort of matchmake people. The challenge was training successful entrepreneurs to generate these opportunities. So here's the good news for would-be apprentices. You don't have to wait around for people like me to create these opportunities. You can create them for yourself. And so in the second part of the episode, we're going to discuss a three-part process to creating and winning apprenticeships. So let's just jump right into that. All right, so step one, create a strong personal brand. What did that mean in your case? Because I know your personal brand was really influential in you getting your apprenticeship. It really was my personal brand, a launch pad into the Empire Flippers apprenticeship because, you know, visiting my site, you see the comments in there. So you see engagement, you see that it clearly has some traffic, which shows that I've got some internet marketing knowledge. And the most important thing I publish every Monday on my personal blog that shows persistence. So if you create a personal brand, people who are looking to hire and they stumble upon your site, they can assume a lot of different things about you. It's really a showcase of your character traits and who you really are. If you write from experience, for example, in the internet marketing niche, then you're seen as an influencer in their eyes, more so than the guy who doesn't have a personal brand. It gives you a leg up and it makes you an easy choice sometimes. I can definitely vouch for this as I always look at whatever potential candidates have published. It tells me so, so much. In fact, I can remember almost everybody that I've ever hired. Now, it's so weird. I've never just came out and said it. I know Sean Ogle says this all the time. Just start a blog. I agree with them in this sense. You don't have to have a blog with 64 million posts on it like you do. Although that's nice. You got to have some work that I can look at. 
And I think that that's really critical in the apprenticeship age. I don't want to see a LinkedIn account that has five connections, resume stuff. I don't want to see a clever Twitter account that says you like internet marketing, SEO, and puppy dogs. And I don't want to see an about me page that's 200 words. You know, I want to see some real work that you've done. That to me is what a personal brand means. Social media to me means that you publish. Media, that's what media does. They publish. It doesn't mean that you have Twitter. That to me is what a strong personal brand is. And it's absolutely critical in demonstrating that you can do the work and also that you're proactive. You know, why are entrepreneurs taking the risk on apprentices? Because they feel like they're high flyers. They feel like they're going to come in and create a big impact in their business. And if you can't create a big impact on your own without the context of a business and do work, and how are you going to do it in the context of my business? Yeah, building a personal brand, man. I mean, it just teaches you so many things. Even if it doesn't get you a job, just imagine how valuable it makes you as an employee, as an entrepreneur. I mean, if you could teach yourself how to rank your website for keywords that bring in, I don't know, a thousand visitors per month, that's a business that you could build down the road. And it's really just a good way to show off your chops. I think it's a very amateur attitude to assume that someone needs to give you the green light in life. Like, for example, if you're looking for an SEO job or an SEO apprenticeship, but you're waiting for that job in order to do SEO, that to me is an amateurish approach to life. It's not proactive. You should already be doing SEO. The value of the apprenticeship then is to say, okay, you're doing SEO on a very small platform. What if I brought you onto my platform? All of a sudden you have resources, you can stay focused on it because you don't have to have a college thing on the side or you don't have to be mowing lawns over the summer. All of a sudden we put 100% of your energy and focus on this, you get access to the network. That's the deal here. But if you haven't given yourself the green light, it's gonna be very difficult for that entrepreneur to take a risk on you. And the risk, by the way, I know we're talking about apprenticeships so the salaries are a little lower, but what's going through my head when I'm evaluating candidates is not money, it's always time. Because I know that's what the apprentice wants. And so I don't want to waste my time with someone who's not going to make a big impact or make good use of that time. The way I think about it as well is that you've got to remember, you're not going to be the only guy applying. There might be dozens, if not hundreds of people applying for the same job. So the way you should be thinking about it is, okay, I'm going to be competing against a lot of people and some of them might out-qualify me on paper. Okay, so... Knowing that or assuming that, how do I raise my percentage of success? How do I make myself stand out from the pack and make it so that I'm the clear pick, that I'm the one that they have to hire because I've shown what I can do? So before we get to step number two, you have a quick tip on that very point, how you stand out from the crowd. You mentioned breaking rules on the application. I generally don't advise this. So what do you mean by that? So this was a fun one. Part of the Empire Flippers marketing apprentice job description was you've got to be unafraid of making cold calls and cold emails, basically talking to people you don't know. And another part is they wanted a five minute video talking about yourself. So I'm like, okay, well, I could talk about myself for five minutes, but how do I leverage that? and make it so they're like, holy shit, we've got to hire this guy. What I did was I reached out to dozens of influencers like Neil Patel, Michael Hyatt, Rand Fishkin from Moz, 
And I basically told them what I needed. I mean, they didn't know who I was. All I said was, hey, here's the current situation. I'm 19 years old. I'm applying for my dream job. And all I need from you is to record a video. Don't endorse me. Don't say Vincent's awesome because you don't know if I'm awesome. You don't know me. Just say Vincent reached out and connected. And so I sent out all of the requests to maybe, I don't remember, 40 or 50 people. And the amount of responses I got was astonishing. I mean, I got at least 15 people to actually do the video. John Lee Dumas introed for me and it was just amazing. And so I stitched the video together into the beginning, talked about myself for three and a half or four and a half minutes and stitched more testimonials at the end. And I sent it in. And I remember Justin, when I finally landed in, he's all like, dude, I mean, I was just rooting for you. I was hoping that you wouldn't mess up the interview because I wanted you. I was literally listening to John Lee Dumas' podcast on my flight yesterday when I saw your video. That's a really cool story. And can we post that video at this blog post? You could, man. Yeah, you could find it on YouTube, just Empire Flippers Vincent. Okay, step number two. So step number one, establish that personal brand. Give yourself the green light. Get started today. Step number two, closely follow the right companies, brands, sites, and individuals and make yourself visible to them. So how did you do this? So, I mean, the first thing you should do is open a Feedly account and just follow the sites that you like on RSS. That's a given. And what I used to do when I first started out was every time one of my favorite sites posted an article that I found really interesting, I added an insightful comment that I believe to have added value to the article in some way. I did it so I was the first person in line, right? So once these influencers saw my name over and over and over, anytime I reached out to them and just said hi or whatever, I wasn't just a random face in a really large crowd. You know, I was Vincent Nguyen, a name that they've seen come up over and over. And so in their eyes, I truly was a super fan and they acknowledged that. So if I ever did need a, say, guest post for them, which would help my personal brand from point one further along, then it became much easier to make that request because it was just a personal ask. It's kind of interesting to see, you know, how you're approaching it and how that approach is so appealing to me as an entrepreneur, because I don't want to be the big change or the big pivot in someone's life. In other words, I don't want to be the reason that people started connecting. I wanted them to just be a connector. That's what you want on your team, right? That's who you want as your apprentice is someone who's proactive and curious about connecting and is already doing it. And then you bring those connections into your life by, you know, having an official business relationship. Yeah. So for the listener here, don't imagine the turning point like Dan said, you should already be on a graph that's trending upwards and to the right. And this apprenticeship is simply helping that momentum along, help it grow exponentially. It's not going to take you on a whole new route that's going to change your life. And it's all up from here while before my life was so miserable. You know, you can't put that kind of pressure on anyone. So step number three, create a free work campaign. Let's talk about how you can do this. So you've got your personal brand set up. You're engaged with and following people of interest, people that I would say pass the corner office test, which is, hey, I really admire what that person does. I'd love to do something like that in my life. In fact, I'm already doing something a little like it because I've already started getting going. Now, how do we execute on that? How do we create a free work campaign? What is free work? So the lowest friction ask possible in order to work with someone is not, you know, hand me a huge paycheck 
and let me do work. I mean, that's a huge ask, and they've already got other people in line for that. But it's a lot harder to turn down free work that they deem valuable. And that's the important part. It has to be valuable free work. Imagine someone's offering to get you on Google search engines for the keywords that you want for free, and they've got credentials for that. Are you going to say no? You might say no if they ask for $10,000 a month or something ridiculous like that. But offering it for free, that's a really hard thing to turn down. I know you got a lot more to say about this, but let me offer this caveat because I say this a lot and then I get tons of offers of free work. The people making the offerings are forgetting one critical thing, which is that if it involves my time, it's not free. And so if I have to get on the phone with you, a quick jump on Skype is a colossal upheaval of my daily routine. I don't want to sound like a jerk for saying that, but I can't just quickly jump on Skype with somebody in another time zone that wants to talk to me about random stuff. If I quickly jumped on Skype, I won't be running my business. You're right, Dan. I mean, that whole, let's just quote unquote, grab a quick coffee. It'll be really quick, man. And then I'll be out of your hair. I mean, it's just going to be a really fast one, but you got to remember they're putting their business on hold and it's all about opportunity cost. Okay. I'm sitting with this guy at a coffee shop for 30 minutes hearing what he could do for me but I could also be using these 30 minutes plus travel time to grow my business so you've got to remember that they're already getting tons of offers on free work what makes your free work valuable is it going to provide positive ROI for that entrepreneur are you going to grow their revenue to make it worth it are you going to save them time right are you going to save them time I mean I very much judge incoming things about is this person saving me time or costing me time and so that's a big opportunity I think sometimes and again it depends on who your target is people underestimate how much people value their time especially like if you're in college or something like it's really difficult to understand what an experienced entrepreneur is going through in terms of like the pressure on their time i think you capitalize on that really nicely with your video thing because i find so much of what i need to do is hard work that i really like things that are fun which i know sounds crazy but i'm not always sitting there in my inbox thinking about roi all day long I mean, I've got a lot of things going sticks in the fire after ROI. But if some college guy writes me an email saying, make me a funny video that's going to take 10 seconds and it's <laughs> going to be really funny. It's like, ah, oh, that's kind of a cool email, right? So I don't know. That's another thing that people could maybe employ is that fun goes a long way for everybody. Fun works. Neil Patel, one of the people who are in the video, mentioned that exactly when we followed up like a year and a half later over dinner. He said, you know, part of the appeal was that it was just a genuine request. And honestly, it was kind of fun. I mean, you were very forthright about what you wanted. And you didn't say, I promise you, you know, X ROI. I wasn't thinking about ROI when I recorded the video. It has something to do with like sometimes oblique moves in or better than direct moves. You know, like really you're like an apprentice and you are going to make me all this money. And it's like, it's tough to believe a lot of times, you know, like, okay, I get it, man. But the point is, is that if you're a business person, you're getting like, I'm going to make you money inquiries all day long. So sometimes it's a little bit better to come in on the like, hey, I heard you're a Lakers fan too angle. Or, (laughs) hey, how about we do a funny video angle? Or, hey man, I really want to do something like you're doing and I'm already kind of doing it and I like the Lakers too. It's all fun. No requests, you know? And you kind of build from there. Sometimes that can work a little bit better than, I promise you I'm going to make you all this money. All I need is a quick Skype call. Yeah, they get those all the time. Have you done a free work campaign in the past? Can you give us an idea of what it looks like? I have, man. I have. So there was this guy who ran a really cool e-commerce store. And I liked the product and I knew that he needed help with Facebook ads. But I wasn't sure that I'd be able to provide positive ROI. Because 
I charge a setup cost, so I wasn't sure I'd be able to charge him that if I wasn't sure I'd be able to kick some butt. I reached out to him and said, hey, I really like your product and I'm willing to lend you my expertise and I'm not going to charge you a dime until we know for a fact that this thing is scalable and that you're getting some money out of it. And so I managed his campaigns for a couple months. And I guess we kind of broke even. Maybe we lost a couple hundred dollars after pouring in a couple thousand or so. It wasn't a total loss for either of us because we learned a lot about his market. And I learned about, okay, so maybe that industry and that kind of category of drive traffic to an e-commerce store isn't my forte. So I probably should focus on the areas that I'm really good at instead. Well, it's a great lesson too, because a lot of these free work campaigns are just not going to work out. And I think that that's hard for people to wrap their minds around. You know, oh, I'm going to work for two months and I'm going to do all this stuff for free. And then it's just going to kind of implode. And I think that that's where one and three, so create a personal brand that's strong, can work in concert together. Because if then you can go back to your personal brand, your own media source, and write about that experience, even if you have to anonymize all the figures, but just help other people understand the valuable bits that you learned. This type of traffic for this kind of industry works this type of way. And that's gonna demonstrate that you're dedicated to your craft, that's gonna build your brand, and so you've got not only the real knowledge asset, but you're also getting some attention for the work that you did, even though unfortunately, you're not gonna get the paycheck right away. And again, like I say, if you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you have to get used to not getting the paycheck right away. It's all about building the future value. Think in the long term always. I mean, I've turned down a lot of short term opportunities because I knew that it would hinder the long term. And the way I look at it isn't I just failed at that or that didn't work out. I look at it as, okay, I just learned what I should avoid. And so I could disqualify in the future my efforts that aren't going to work out really well. So I could focus most, if not all of my efforts on the places where I could provide the best results. Eliminate as much as you can so you're left with the gold. I hope that that contributed something for those of you seeking a little bit more direction and clarity here. Vincent and I are available to answer questions in the comments, tropicalmba.com slash apprentice. Now, the third part of this episode is about achieving exit velocity, taking your next step past your apprenticeship. What does the future look like? And since Vincent's recently taken that step, I thought it would be cool to hear the story. Part of the reason I wanted to talk to you today, I'm so excited to catch you at sort of this phase in your career. Five months ago, you started a productized service. And your first paying client was the Empire Flippers, your ex-employer. First off, it's very common. Joe and Justin's first client was their former employer. My first client was my former employer. And so we were brainstorming before the show and we came up with something called the anchor client rule, which is to say that if the apprenticeship that you're going for, if the mentor that hires you and brings you on, if you can't envision them as a future client of yours, in other words, if you can't get on the other side of the entrepreneurial fence in that same relationship, they're probably not the best mentor for you. And you've done that beautifully. As now, you know, you worked for the guys for a while, you did great work for them. And then when you started your own thing, which is quite successful, by the way, I'm very impressed by how you're doing, they became your first paying client, which says a lot about you know, your relationship with them and the quality of your service frankly, because what you're doing must be providing them with real return on investment. So let's talk about it then. I mean, that's a great litmus test for your first business in general. If the guys you used to work for aren't impressed with what you're doing or they don't see the value of what you want to offer them, then that might not be a good business for other clients. I mean, you know, there might be a lot of different reasons for why 
But if you've got the green light and they want to be your first client, that tells you you're on to something there. So tell us the name of your company and tell us what it does. So my business is called Growth Ninja. And what we essentially do is drive leads via Facebook ads. And so a lot of our clients, they have a proven marketing funnel in place. And we simply drive cold traffic so that they can maximize and convert them into sales. So now I've casually on this show said Facebook ad management. I've tossed it out on the show and said people should do that. And you're actually doing it, which is cool to see. But how did the idea come about for you? And more importantly, how did you conceive of it in such a way that you were like, that's going to work or I can launch that and I can sell that? So after DCBKK or rather during it, I realized that I was surrounded by the sea of entrepreneurs who were doing cool stuff. They owned what they were doing. I was the marketing director and representing another company. And so I kind of felt almost out of place. And so it started making me think I should be doing my own thing. You know, that's kind of what I want to do, I think. While before the conference, I didn't have that thought at all. And so I kind of, I slept on it and I kept thinking about it. I talked to Justin about it. Just one dinner in San Diego with three other entrepreneurs. I kind of let them know, hey, I'm... This thinking- name drop, by the way. Who were they? <laughs> it was another DCer named Kevin Koskella. I love Kevin. You know, Kevin was in my first mastermind ever. He's an awesome guy, man. He's Isn't just crazy? an awesome guy. Yeah, I didn't know you guys went back that far. Yeah. But he was there at the dinner. Neil Patel was there. Mike Camo, a mutual friend of ours. I was, you know, saying, okay, so I want to start. It's funny how business. these like relationship grains keep coming back though, because Neil Patel is like, oh, you're the guy who sent the video. And yeah, that's why I still had his number, and I called him one day, and I just said, hey, do you happen to be in town? Because I know he comes to San Diego every now and then. He said, yeah, I'm actually going to be there this weekend. Are you free Friday? I'm like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's go Friday. So I reached out to the DCers and Kevin showed up. You're at dinner with these guys. Is that where you're at? What's the scene? Yeah, we're, we're having dinner in San Diego, just talking shop and talking business, talking personal. And you're like, guys, I really want to start something. And how did it go? So I had the CRO idea and conversion rate, optimization. conversion rate optimization, and uh, they were poking holes in it. I'm like, all right, so I see your points. And then Kevin said, hey, you know what, man? I actually need Facebook ads, like a guy to do that for me because I'm doing it all myself. And I know that you have experience with that with Empire Flippers. And I actually know other people who need that service as well. So I'm like, interesting. Yeah, I that hasn't even occurred to me. And then Mike chimed in and said that, you know, it'd be really interesting if it was performance based because, you know, once you stop bringing in those big wins and they're still paying the same retainer, yeah, they're incentivized to can you so if you're performance based pricing if you work off of incentives then you're driven to perform at a maximum level and they're comfortable paying you because they know you earned it so growth ninja is a hundred percent performance based pricing aside from the startup cost two thousand dollars but every single invoice at the end of the month it's directly related to how many leads i brought in or how many sales I brought in. I'm just curious, how's the transition been for you running your own business? You've got significant revenue coming in. You've got 15 clients. How has the transition been for you? What have the challenges been? And where do you see it going? Because a lot of people, they might say things like, you know, you even referred to yourself earlier as the Facebook ads guy. And people hesitate to quote pigeonhole themselves or they're worried about being too focused So where do you see this going and what are the challenges for you? I mean, a good friend of mine who happens to be in the DC really opened my eyes to the potential of what Growth Ninja could be. That's why I didn't call it Facebook Ninja because I wanted to keep it open. And although I specialize in Facebook now, there's still the potential to move on to other channels. I mean, I still have clients asking me if I want to take over LinkedIn ads for them, Twitter ads, AdWords. But, you know, I had to turn that down because I want to be really good at this right now and maybe build a team in the future, bring someone on who's really good at those channels and then pour 
forward into my current clients as well. So right now, I think that I just want to stay as a Facebook ads guy because there's some value in specialization. I mean, I've had clients sigh with relief and say out loud during sales calls, oh my God, okay, good. So you're not spreading yourself thin with other channels. I'm glad I heard you say you only do Facebook because I know you'll do it well. Big thanks to Vincent for swinging by and sharing his story as it happens on the ground. You know, it's really cool to me to see well, a little bit of hard work, a little bit of knowing what you want. I mean, we're not talking about prestige or degrees or having a bunch of money. We're talking about knowing what you want and getting it done. Speaking of knowing what you want, can we play some more Tony Rich just because it's awesome? Can we just collectively get together and appreciate how awesome this song is? I don't know if I did a good job of being a middle school dance DJ today, but I hope at least we put a little bit more meat under the bone of this concept of apprenticeships. And we'd love to hear your experience, helpful links, any feedback you have for us will be in the comments at tropicalmba.com slash apprentice. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.